This is the Mental Health Movement Podcast, Voice for the Voiceless, a weekly podcast hosted by Chris Milson, a podcast to help break the stigma of mental health and to remind everyone that it is okay to be not okay, and to remind those that they are never alone. Please also note that Chris is not a psychologist or psychiatrist and is speaking from research and experiences. Trigger warning for those for the possible explicit content and language. What's going on, Warriors, and welcome to another episode of the Mental Health Movement Podcast, Voice for the Voiceless. I am your host, Chris. Thank you guys so much for being patient with me over these last couple of weeks. I know it's been almost a month since my last episode came out, but um, we just did a men, men's mental health panel with Nami, um, my good friend Sean here, who I'll introduce here in a second. Very good conversation. We ran about two hours. Um, as soon as I have that recording, it will be on this podcast. Um, so thank you guys again for your support. Um, always appreciate everything you guys give to me, all the feedback and my listeners. Um, so that today's special guest, um, he is also a fellow podcaster in the mental health community. He is a fellow warrior and he is one of my good friends, Sean. Sean, how are you doing today, man? Good, man. Looks like we're hanging out on the island of relevancy. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to catch it. I'm like, damn, you didn't say anything yet. <laughs> um, but thank you again so much for uh, coming on to the podcast. Uh, greatly appreciate your support as well. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I always love supporting my friends. Yeah, man. Um, so tell us a little about yourself, just uh, just for our viewers. Uh, just mm. introduce yourself. All right. So my, my name is Sean Young. I'm a person in long-term recovery, what that looks like for me. So I haven't put a body or haven't put a body in my system. Wow. Wow. That's insane. That's the first time I've ever said that. <laughs> already off I'm, to a great start. I'm already off to a great start. We're fucking playing games here. Um, anyways, I haven't put a mind altering substance in my body since December 7th, 2019. Uh, and that is my day that I recognize as being sober, even though my recovery would not start for uh, about a month after that. Um, being able to be sober and work my program has given me the ability to be a better father, better life partner to my significant other, as well as be a better friend and a better human being overall. Thank you for that, man. Um, so tell us about uh, about your journey and how, how you got to the path of healing that you're currently on. Oh, man, dude, my life has been filled with trauma, crazy trauma. Um, a lot of stuff that I, you know, that... I, I, I hit here and there and I talk about here and there a lot of childhood trauma that surrounded my father and I, um, and then some military service trauma and then, um, some post service trauma. I, I like to look at this and just like, say, I have faced almost every form of trauma that you can think of. I worked on it. Um, it's, it's been a journey. Um, I got to this point where I sat in jail and I kind of blamed everybody for my problems and, uh, I blamed everybody for the fact that I was an alcoholic. I blamed everybody for the fact that I had problems and I wasn't ready to take accountability of it. And one of my cellmates, this old native man, dude, and I'm telling you, when when an old native man tells you to shut the fuck up, you just got to listen, right? You can't, you can't beat that. And he looked at me and he was like, Viking, shut the fuck up. Now, if you listen to this, I got a massive beard, right? I look like a Viking. And so he said, Viking, shut the fuck up. You create all these problems in your life when you accept that, you'll be okay. 
And, and so like, at first I was like, man, who is this old ass man talking to me like that? Who? But then I really sat with it. Um, and I, and I was like, you know, he's actually right. Like I've created a lot of these problems in my life as an adult. And now I have to take accountability and responsibility for him and either continue down this path I'm going or change my life completely. And that's what I did. Um, I, I got out of jail and I, I hit the ground running and uh, yeah, no turning back. You know, I, I've always felt like the hardest part of anybody's healing journey is accountability. You know, I, it's so hard to accept, you know, like you said, the problems that you cause in your life, you know, the easy go-to in today's society in general is just, you know, the instant gratification that point the fingers at other people and not wanting to look yourself in the mirror. And for me, you know, while there was a lot of trauma in my life and a lot of that was caused by, you know, family members, parents, you know, whoever, all the things that I did to cope that were unhealthy was my doing. And while sure I can sit here and say it wasn't my fault, it was to an extent. And, you know, again, like in your journey, you had all this trauma and things that you went through and you clung to things that you thought were healthy that you thought could just get you through the day. And just being able to look in the mirror and, and say that, you know, you fucked up. This is because of you. You're in the position that you're in because you put yourself there. And I feel like a lot of people struggle to just identify what the actual problem is when it comes to just just healing because most people don't even want to put the work into healing oh absolutely i agree 100 percent. you know i think <clears throat> there's a lot that comes with that too um it's the guilt and the shame right and uh looking at generational trauma and, and seeing the repeating patterns and saying how can i break this like not knowing your next step the fear of the unknown that's a huge one for me the fear of the unknown has always crippled me Right. Because I didn't know what was coming next, you know, with my stuff in Alaska when you and I, you know, when, when I reached out to you it was a whole bunch of fear of the unknown, not a damn clue of what I was going to do next, but I knew I had to do something. And the fact of the matter is, is a lot of us get hung up on this, on, on the, on the semantics of things, right? We get hung up on the, on the, this is what happened and I can't let that go. Or this is what I did and I can't let that go. Well, what's preventing you from from letting it go right like what is what are you holding on to that like like it's your last dying breath that's going to prevent you from moving forward and stepping forward even if you've done it or somebody's done it to you like right <laughs> i used to hold on to everything everybody did to me and i was like this person meant to do that nine chances out of ten they didn't <laughs> they just weren't paying attention or you know that's why road rage is such a big thing because they think people intentionally do that things i mean obviously they're assholes on the road let's be <laughs> right right but i mean you know people don't pay attention right so sometimes you know they cut us off or or they don't go as fast as we want them to at that exact time but we got to remember like we're doing the same damn thing to somebody behind us and so that is that is what i i, I look at as i'm like I don't know what kind of day this person's having. They can be having a great day and just be a shitty human being, or they could have this terrible day and be the best human being in the world. I don't know, but let's try and stray away from like persecuting that person 
know, step in and and work on what I can control. Now, only thing I can control is the way I handle things. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I think it's like you control how you react, not how everybody else feels. Or uh, I forgot what that exact quote is, but I feel like you kind of fall into that trap of toxic victimhood too, you know. And that's that's a phrase. I'm glad that you know the lovely word uh, buzzwords that we talk about that have lost their meaning because so many people use it. I feel toxic victimhood isn't talked about enough because like yeah. you said, hanging on to something and hanging on what, what happened in your last relationship, what happened uh, today, what happened last week, somebody cuts you off last month and you're still holding on to that one thing and you can't seem to find a way out of it. And you're just, you're like that rat on that wheel that just doesn't go anywhere else or hamster yeah. or whatever. I, I know somebody. I know somebody that holds on to what their parents did to them when they were 16, and they're in their 50s now, and they refuse to let that go. Like they won't go to their parents' house. They won't talk to them. If they do, it's an argument. It's a fight, and it's like it, you know your parents are entering the last stages of their life. Is this the last thing that you want your parents to remember remember you by? You know, is this how you want? your relationship with your parents to go because here soon they're not going to be around for you to say everything that's on your heart right and, and you know with the parent conversation you know uh my mom is, is one of those people who hangs on to things for decades and then the second you like you know it happened 20 years ago and it, all of a sudden it's like oh it doesn't matter you don't feel the way that i do and just refuses to heal and when it when it comes down to uh, you know just having narcissistic parents um, or parent rather, it's it's really hard to look at them like a parent after all the trauma and everything that you endured. Yeah. You know, like I, I can I can forgive and and forget everything that both my parents have done. Those scars are still there, and I know what conversations not to have with them. I know what to tell them and, and you know what not to tell them and at the end of the day boundaries are, are something a lot of people don't appreciate either especially no. when it comes to healing the boundaries boundaries are a buzzword dude like a lot of people don't understand the concept of boundaries and they think like completely like alienating somebody is is a boundary but really just being a dick right right boundary is like okay this person does this there's going to be a consequence after not a, it doesn't have to be a violent one i mean i think we a lot of men and women get hung up on this violence thing like i gotta beat their ass in order for to get respect now you know uh, one of my boundaries has always been you know i'm going to show you respect but when you disrespect me you like you lose that respect right so the respect has to start somewhere so if you disrespect me you lose that respect and you have to gain it back but that's that's a human decency level, right? Like I'm gonna treat everybody the same way, but you step on my toes and that respect goes out the window. But you were talking about toxic parents, dude. One of the things that my dad does that annoys the dog shit out of me, and I, I love him to death. Our relationship has gotten better. But he blame he says, you know, my parents, and I guess I can say it that the person I was talking about before is my dad. Um but he references things that his parents have done to him. 
right? And I'm like, dad, you've done the same to me. Right? Like, how is that fair that you hold them to a greater standard than you hold yourself to? Right. Right. Like he's, he's like, Oh, since I've, you know, lived here, they have never once come over. And I'm like, well, one, they live an hour and a half away and they're in their seventies. Do you expect them to get in a car and drive an hour and a half or that? That's an unreal, unrealistic expectation too. Dad, you haven't even come to see me when I was an hour away from you. Like, come on, let's be real here. It's, it's always uh, a matter of, uh what's the phrase do it as do as i say not as i do kind of thing yeah and just they don't want to look at themselves in the mirror and, and realize that they're continuing that cycle that they're complaining about mm-hmm. and especially especially when it comes to parents man it's obviously there's no there's no instruction manual on being a parent for anybody but you you should know okay this is how my parents brought me up and this is how I don't want to raise my kids. Not just my parents did this and F them because they did all these things and they didn't walk me home one day or whatever it is. And they hold on to that for like 20 something years. And meanwhile, while they're refusing to heal, they do the same thing to you. And I mean, <clears throat> look back two generations from us, right? And the parenting styles. So our grandparents raised their kids that were rebellious in a way of well we're gonna either beat your ass or get rid of you right so then that that creates trauma on on those children on our parents right and then so they're stepping out they're trying to figure out who they are meanwhile they're either either engaging in drugs alcohol or both uh risky sexual behaviors all that shit and then when we come along they do almost the same thing to us, except for they say, I, I don't want to raise my kids the way I was gonna, I was raised. So instead of, you know, perpetuating that, I'm just going to be their friend or, or I'm going to alienate them. So they don't have to feel that pain, but you're creating a whole new cycle of trauma to the next generation. Right. And it's fucking insane. Yeah. I've always felt like, you know, the day that I have kids, like, Obviously, I'm not going to repeat what my parents did. And, you know, the the first cycle I broke was being a young parent. You know, I, I know that's might be like an eye roller, roller to some people. And this isn't a knock at anybody who had kids young. But both of my parents were basically kids when they had me. You know, my dad was, I think, 21. My mom just turned 18 when she had me. And it, you know... It wasn't perfect for them when they had me and they had to struggle a lot and they were growing up while they were trying to raise me and i i totally get that but in, in the meantime like you said a whole generation of trauma introduced onto me but turned up you know yeah. if they tried so hard to not be like their parents they're worse than their parents yeah. and it's crazy because you know they're obviously we talk about this all the time the mental health resources weren't there you know, we didn't know what depression was 50, 60 years ago. I mean, we did. It was in a book, you know, and you would go to, you know, go to a psych ward if you said you had anxiety, anxiety. What the hell is that? Yeah. You sound crazy. We're going to, we're going to put you in a straitjacket in, in a padded room. You know what I mean? Like, obviously there's reasons why our parents were the way that they were with us, but at the same time, 
there there comes a time where when we're trying to heal, we got to establish those boundaries so we're not repeating that cycle, not harping on everything that they did, but putting up those boundaries and uh, I guess not isolating them, but uh, keeping them far away enough where they're not going to continue that cycle on you. And that's hard for a lot of people. It was really hard for me. Yeah, I would I would keep my dad at arm's length at all times up until probably five or six years ago, you know, because I didn't know what was going to come out of his mouth. I don't I didn't know if it was going to be I love you or I'm going to fucking kill myself. Right. Right. So like and I've had plenty of those conversations with my dad mm. where I'm like, dude, you just you need to stop. I had to call the police on, you know, to do a, a welfare check on him, dude. And it was just insane. But like the thing was, is what what the parents of that generation don't see is that their inability to talk about their feelings and their emotions because they have to hold up to the stigma created our generation of, I'm just going to say a fuck ups because we fuck up a lot. Right. Um, and I'm in this generation, so I can say it. Uh, but then it also, it also gave us that ability to wake up and say things aren't okay. Like yeah. this is not, the way we were treated as children and the way we, you know, treated as young adults, it's not okay. And, you know, so much of that behavior is normalized that when you finally start getting to the point of healing, it's like, oh shit, that wasn't normal. Like being hit wasn't normal. Like obviously there's discipline, but then there's like actual abuse. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, um, you just kind of, realize what wasn't normal and what toxic cycles that it's it's up to you to break you know there was a lot of that for me and i'm sure for yourself as well yeah you know i i actually was on a podcast a few days ago and uh somebody asked me what i wanted the host the co-host said you know why you know if you did or if you didn't did you talk to an adult about what was going on i was like do you think that i trusted adults i said I said, you know, the foundations of trust are implement implemented to you as a child at three, four, five years old. Right. The, the instruction of trust, hey, don't touch that stove. It's hot. I'm fucking touch it anyways. That's the instrument of trust. And so my instrument of trust was broken. I didn't understand it. So like, how can I trust that an adult is going to have my best interest at mind or best interest at heart? when no adult in my life has ever had my best interest at heart. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, for me, and I, I don't think I ever like talked about this out loud just because it wasn't really something that I felt like needed to be said. But since we're on the subject, I have a really bad flinching problem. Like it doesn't matter if like somebody's raising their hand or something moves over here. Like I flinch and it's because of, shit that I went through in my childhood, you know, shit was broken over my head, like constantly smacked in the back of the head, you know, whatever. That was something that evolved into what it is now. And I can't help but to flinch if something moves weird or if I hear a weird noise, like whatever it is. And um, that was my foundation of trust broken for me too. And talking to adults, man, talking to adults about my problems wasn't something I felt comfortable with probably for 27 years of my life. And mainly because the last time I tried to talk to an adult, obviously before now, um, before I was in therapy, I mean, um, is I was given away 
by my own mother to a family friend because she didn't want to deal with me anymore. Those are my mom's words after I attempted at my life. Yeah. She didn't want to deal with me anymore. And the outpatient therapist that I had was a complete joke. And or not not the therapist directly, but just like the therapy in general was a joke. And I'll never forget that for as long as I live. And it's not like I'm not harping on it, but it's something that has made me passionate about the things that we talk about now. And we can openly talk about it and say, hey, if you see a kid struggling or if you know a teenager that's struggling and you're watching them struggle, don't just sit there and watch them. Like, let them know that there's help out there, that we have so many more resources available now than when you and I were kids. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I last year, uh, one of my soon to be ex-wives co-workers ended up coming to stay with us because her dad beat the shit out of her. Right. And in order to alleviate a lot of the stress in her life, she came to stay with us. And like, you know, I, I sat and I had to watch this kid like just unfold all the time and 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 i was like hey look dude like i can drive you over to the hospital we can talk to a counselor i don't have to be there you know whatever just somebody and she she just didn't because she was so afraid that it would get back to her dad and like it, it's rough for kids right it, it, it's rough for us but it's rough for kids in this generation on top of that like we're in the generation of technology those these kids don't know how to survive without a fucking phone or an ipad in their face let's be real and um, it, it's harder for them. You know, I was listening to to a podcast where this guy said that he went, I actually think it was one of my guests. He went and he did just this little survey study where he sat at a, at a table at a college gathering and he, they were handing out things. Not a single person came to that table. And as soon as they noticed that they would have to engage with the people at the table, they went like this. Cause they, they don't know how to handle stress or, or cope with stress. And, and so like, or the, the anxiety of, of having to talk to people and that's healthy anxiety at times. Right. Like, you know, I used to get really anxious when I was, when I started podcasting, cause I was like, I don't want to sound like a jackass. Right. But the reality is, is there's healthy and unhealthy, um, you know, anxiety. And I, I think that um, this, the generation now doesn't, isn't equipped to have that. And then, and it didn't help that COVID happened. Yeah, COVID was definitely something I noticed myself. Uh, definitely felt my brain going backwards in terms of socializing. Yeah. And before I get into my second question, because the last uh, comment you made kind of segued into that, I, I just dare I say that technology is one of the biggest reasons why there's their suicide numbers are high. Like you know, all these kids, like you said, they're they're born through iPads. They're on their phones constantly. They, they don't know how to communicate with each other. And then when they meet the real world, when they have, when they're forced to talk to people, kids are assholes. Like let, let's, let's call it what it is. Kids are assholes nowadays. And I, I'm sure we weren't any better when we were kids. I don't think we were this bad. And, and you know, I think it's a parenting thing too. Cause a lot of parents use technology as babysitters, right? Yeah. And I just feel like you see these 14, 15 year old kids take their life because they can't handle this shit. And it's because of technology. I mean, yeah, technology is great for the fact that 
We have information right now. We have all the resources literally in the palm of our hands. But turn that coin over, what do we have? Kids that have social anxiety, kids that don't know how to communicate with people. Uh, and then, you know, imagine the trauma that we had to endure put on today's kids. I mean, obviously, there's still that trauma going on, not what I'm saying. But, like, yeah. imagine some of the problems that we had to face that were normalized on some of these kids in today's world. Like, bullying when our parents were growing up, bullying when we were growing up was physical bullying. Yeah. You know, and obviously there's there's still plenty of that as well. But like now it's online bullying and it's so much worse than it has ever been. Like to me, I would rather get punched in the face by a bully than some of the things these kids say online because my jaw drops at some of the comments that these people make to each other. Like, oh, yeah, I, I've talked about this in a previous podcast about uh my anger turning into trolling on Twitter and stuff and, you know, whatever. Uh, I pulled away from Twitter. But basically, my family was being targeted. You know, I, I was, my personal information was getting blasted on, on Twitter and all that stuff because people just don't know how to act humane towards each other. And it's it's crazy to me that in a world of awareness, in a war, uh, world of acceptance, that we're just still so full of hate, even more now than ever. And like you said, the pandemic made that like a hundred times worse. Oh yeah, wow. you know on top on, on top of that, like you know, it's it's not just it's it's not just about that. Like, um, you know, people don't know when to stop, right? People don't have that that break. They say that, you know, we we have to go balls to the wall and destroy somebody in order to get gratification. It's like, why? What are you doing for yourself that makes this situation make you feel good? That's bullshit. Right. Um, so on, based on your last comment about, uh, about your podcast, I kind of want to segue into the second question I had for you. Um, so when did you decide to start your podcast and did you have a set goal when you created it or was it just kind of like a spur of the moment kind of thing? Uh, so when I first got into recovery, I wanted to start my podcast, uh, but I didn't feel like I had enough time, uh, you know, because like when you get in the rooms of AA, dude, like it's all about time. It really is. I don't know if you've been to a meeting or if you yeah. know. Any, okay. So it's all about time, right? Like how much time you have. And in some of the circles in AA, if you don't have an extended period of time or if you have X amount of years, you don't talk. You just shut the fuck up and listen. And so that's how I felt about podcasting. I felt like I didn't have enough time under my belt that uh, people would take me as a joke. And so I really beat myself up. And it wasn't until about last year that I was like, I, I, I need to do something. And it, I was on TikTok. I was on live. I was cooking dinner. And this guy comes in and he's like, hey, man, you got a nice beard. And I was like, well, thanks, dude. He's like, you want to be a brand ambassador? Him and I hit it off. We became real good friends. And he invited me on, you know, one of his shows to do just like a panel. And uh, we talked about spirituality and about paranormal shit. I love paranormal stuff. And um, afterwards, he's like, dude, you got a voice for podcasting. You can carry on a conversation. You're really personal or personable. I was like, thanks, man. Uh, but I just don't have the equipment. And he was like, do you have a microphone? I was like, yeah, but it's not. A, he's like, use it. Do you have headphones? Yes. Use it. 
okay, I just don't have the software. Here's the software I use. Go buy it. So I did. Uh, and then he was like, you know, do you have a topic that you want to cover? And I said, absolutely. And he said, do it. So, you know, at first it was kind of like, I'm, I just want to get my, my story out and I don't know where this is going to go. And so I put my story out first. I always, I believe in leading from the front, like no matter what I do, I'm going to lead from the front. I'm going to do it before everybody else does not as a selfish thing, but I'm going to set the example for others to follow. Right. And um, so I started my podcast uh, last year. I've actually been a year now. I'm excited about that. Oh, yeah. Um, Congrats, man. Thanks, brother. And so, like, I started asking people if they wanted to share their story, but I started asking people that I knew. Right. So I was like friends that 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 I had that were in recovery, Uh, my mentors in recovery, my sponsors, just anybody I could get my hands on that would share their story. And I did it. And I just, I didn't know what it would turn into. And it turned into something awesome. I was one of two um, recovery podcasters in all of Alaska. And um, it was crazy because when my podcast podcast came out and I started putting episodes out, you know, some of my, my mentors would come to me and they say, Hey man, like we're, we're around the city, like at these conventions about the, at these recovery meetings people are asking about you i'm like who are these people and they're like we don't know their names but they're asking about you about your podcast and how to listen to it i'm like no way right so like people i don't know want to listen to me and listen to other people share their stories pretty awesome i remember when the the pandemic first started uh i think that was around the time uh a little bit before the pandemic so when i created a group and that before I created the group, it started with a post that just blew up. So I'm like, okay, maybe this could go somewhere. Created the group and just kind of let it build to what it is now. And I was tossing around the idea of a podcast. And I was just like, you know, during the pandemic, I feel like everybody had a had a freaking podcast. So it was just like, if I do it, nobody's gonna listen. You know how you know how anxiety just oh, yeah. you get in your head about it and uh, I remember having a conversation with uh, with my therapist about it, and she's like, "I think it would be an absolutely, you know, great platform to share your stories, share about topics, and put bring guests on there." And you know, uh, I, I've I've had some pretty notable guests on the podcast, and, and it's gone international. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy when you see how much of an impact that you can have when you're you're so passionate about something and you want to get the word out and like you said you started you started with friends you started with uh, people that you were comfortable with and that's how mine started too it started with friends and that grew into authors and that grew into therapists i mean i i think the podcast between you and i your podcast my podcast i think we're we're two men in a in a community in a industry that doesn't have a lot of guys that speak up about it and i I think it it speaks volumes on a lot of the things that we talk about and i i I love your podcast and i'm grateful to have been on it at at some point as well yeah I'm, i'm grateful to have had you on as a guest you know i think you know it it also brings up this thought uh you know feelings are scary right? Yeah. Emotion, emotions are scary, right? Because if you don't know how to properly process them, you run the risk of, of 
traumatizing yourself or being re-traumatized, right? Uh, and, and and so being able to grasp that and 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 take time. One of the things I learned when I started doing this, because I went balls to the wall right at first, like you've seen it. I don't know moderation, bro, like at all. Moderation is not a word in my dictionary. I've right. taken it out. I've scratched it out and burned the page. I went balls to the wall. And then after a while, I was just like, God damn, I'm just so tired. And it wasn't like the people or the pace. It was when, when you do this. energy. Oh, yeah, it's a lot of mental energy. You're giving your energy to other people. Yeah. And it's not being returned, especially if you're not a guest on somebody else's show, right? If you're just right. doing stuff for yourself and establishing yourself in this field, it's like, fuck, this is heavy. Especially when, like, I had this guest where uh, he shared his story and it sounded a lot like mine, but he was in graphic detail, dude. And I, I, I you could see me visually shaken up in that episode. And like, afterwards, I literally i i turned Streamyard off i didn't even download his stuff right away i went and i cried because it was just so fucking heavy and then that was the point that i realized like i need to pace myself i need to moderate myself i need to do self-care right because self-care works when you're in recovery and taking care of yourself but it also works in this yeah and and in a weird way this has become a part of my recovery program yeah and you know i i think a lot of and, I, and i've said this many times before but I'll continue to preach uh, my belief in it too. A lot of people underestimate how much energy that this that this takes out of somebody. Like, I don't know if you remember or not when I took that two week hiatus, man. Like, it got to the point where I shared that uh, shared that post about uh, my last therapy session, not this one, but the one before that. That was really big for me. What I tried moving forward from that post. Dude, I felt like I was thrown out of a train, thrown off a bridge, and then landed in like a pit of flames. And that's how it felt like physically and mentally for me. And I've never gotten to that point of just like trying to pour from a, a cup full of dust, essentially. And like you said, man, self-care while you're healing, while you're in recovery is massive. And I feel like a lot of people take that self-care for granted because, again, self-care has become a buzzword. And, like, people are like, oh, I just spent four grand on a pair of shoes. Self-care. Okay, like, that's great. You're buying yourself something. But, like, self-care means so much more than materialistic things. Like, to me, self-care is walking out on the dock and watching the sun go down. Like, that's self-care. That's, that's recharging and that's healing for me. Self-care doesn't look the same for everybody. But I, I also feel like self-care is another one of those buzzwords that everybody likes to throw around. Not to say it's losing its meaning, but it's becoming one of those words that is used all too much of now we're going to have to start rephrasing it to something else. You know what I mean? And obviously, I don't think it'll get to that point, but I think you you understand what I'm getting at with that. Oh, yeah. I, I hate going on social media and seeing people say, oh, I'm doing self-care, blah, 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 blah. No, you're not. Like let's be real, and and and, and you'll you you, you a, a and you can you you can be nice about it. I'm not going to be right. That's not some of those things that people are doing is not self care, right? Like if you're going out to the mall and you you're you're fucking walking around, um, 
oh, one second. And, and you're, you know, you're, you're walking around and you're saying, you're saying, oh, you know, I'm going to go get this brand new outfit and all this. That shit's not self-care. That, that's not self-care, bro. Like self-care, self-care is, is what you do to bring yourself to the center. Yeah. Right. To literally take yourself from an elevated standpoint to completely peaceful. Right. Um, shit self-care looked like for me when i was angry as a motherfucker like this has been within the past few years after i started my recovery if i was angry as a motherfucker dude i would meditate it wouldn't matter if somebody was screaming at me it wouldn't matter if somebody was talking to me i would meditate i would just zone them the fuck out i would just meditate because it's taken me from this heightened stance of of being so angry that i could break shit to yeah Go ahead, you can yell at me. It's fine, right? And that's what that's what self care is. Self care is is literally taking yourself from a heightened state of being to to baseline level, right? So I always kind of look at self care like, what are you doing for your soul? Yeah, not what are you exactly. doing for your being? Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, uh, self care. You know, and, and religion is a hot topic. Self care could be, you know, going to church. I know a lot of people that do that self-care, right? But that's, that also falls under the spiritual recovery portion. Um, but it's technically classified as self-care. But, but like going to a goddamn mall, right? Going to the mall. Now, now self-care can be in different stages too, right? So like if somebody if somebody's completely overwhelmed or completely depressed, self-care could be, hey, I got in a goddamn shower today. And I'm fucking proud of myself for it. I got up and I ate a meal today versus yesterday where I had a cracker, right? Or or self-care could be like, hey, I turned on my favorite TV show. I might have only watched 10 minutes of it and then zoned out on TikTok or Facebook. But I still did it, right? And that's, that's, some, that's something to help take care of yourself. So yeah, when people say I went, I went out and I, I got me a Gucci ass bag. No, man. No, that's not self-care. That's just that, you know, it's, that's you getting what you want. That's that's you spoiling yourself. I appreciate the the comment you made about the, there's different stages of self-care. I think that's, that's a comment I felt like needed to be really highlighted because I, I never thought of it that way in terms of the healing process, different stages of, of self-care. That that's that's a good one. I actually like that a lot. Yeah, I mean, because if you look at it, like if you have it, it like, like for me, I'm 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 diagnosed with uh, massive depressive disorder. Right, I'm not always depressed. I tell you that. There was a time where I was where like I couldn't see past my front door. I would be stuck on my couch, staring at a blank TV for hours, staring into the dark abyss, and just everything seemed to overwhelm me. Right. Right. And so, like, the smallest thing, like, brushing my teeth would be a victory for me. And that was self-care, you know, being able to go outside, even if it was me going outside to walk to the fucking mailbox to get my mail, that was a victory. Whereas now, I'm not depressed, and I haven't had depression in months, right? And that's great. I'm happy, you know, but self-care takes on a different role at that point. Right. So for me, self-care, like I love doing the cemetery walks. That's huge self-care for me. Even if I'm putting them on TikTok, whatever, 
I find that to be self-care because like one, I'm, I'm out and, and in the sun, vitamin D is one of the best things to help cure depression. Um, two, I'm out in nature. So I'm able to walk around, smell the roses, you know, all that other stuff. And I'm, I'm learning. Right. So even if I just see a name or a death date, like that's a name and a death date that's going to stick with me. And, and so, I mean, you know, there are different levels of self-care and there's different, you know, and, 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 and that depends on the phase of, of your life that you're in. Right. Um, so since we've, we've kind of talked about uh, the sobriety part of, of your journey, what has been your favorite part uh, of your, your healing process since starting your sobriety? Mm, my favorite part. Uh, my aha moments. I call them aha moments because it's those moments where somebody has said something and it's been like this light bulb went on inside my head. Um, or I, I did something in my recovery that I've done a, a ton of times and, and a light bulb went on inside my head and something made sense. Or, you know, uh, when I was making amends to certain people and I had this like, because one of the things in recovery, dude, is like, you got to make amends to people, right? You got you, you to gotta admit that you were the problem. And how they take it is on them, right? But getting that out there. There's been people that I've made amends to, and I'm like, they are absolutely not going to talk to me. I'm the biggest piece of shit. And they've been like, I don't need, you did that? I'm like, fuck, you don't even remember? That feels good. But I would say my biggest, to me, what I'm most proud of is, is December. Because when I when I first started my recovery, I was sitting in a courtroom. And I, I I know you've heard this before, but for everybody, you know, sitting in a courtroom in an orange jumpsuit. Well, no, it was white. It was white, and I had my hands cuffed. And the judge looked at me, and he was like, "You know, why? Why is this time any different than any other time that you got try to get sober?" I said, I've done it for other people. You know, now I have to do it for myself. And if I don't do it for myself, then uh, I'm going to fail this. And so, you know, everything, every step that I've taken in my recovery has, has led to the next thing. Right. And I hate, I hate calling them steps because it, it's not linear, right? Like I'm not doing this to get to the next step, but it's like every stepping stone that I took to get me to where I am now, um, all started there. And, you know, December happened and I cannot tell you how many people that when I reached out to them or I talked to them, they said, do not drink. And for me, that wasn't even a thought in my mind. That wasn't even, I, I, I knew that that wasn't going to answer any of my problems. Like I thought before that's because my thinking has changed. Right. So being able to being able to stay sober through the one of the hardest things in my life and actually the hardest thing in my recovery helped me realize that like I went through that I can fucking make it through anything right and then uh, on top of that because of that I inspired other people that were suffering right so like I had friends or participants of the groups that I run reach out to me and say, Hey man, like we've been having a hard time in our recovery. We've been having a hard time, you know, wanting to stay sober and your story inspired me to want to stay sober because you can make it through this. I can make it through something far as 
far less significant. And my response is like, my, my shit's not better than yours or worse than yours. Right. But the reality is, is when we, when we put our, our, what we've worked on to use, it, it becomes inspirational to others. Even if it's like the next right thing. Like I know the next right thing for me is not to drink. Cause if I drink one, I'm going to be a dick. Two, I'm going to throw away everything that I've worked my ass off for. Three, I'm not going to have anything. Like, I wouldn't have my podcast. I wouldn't be able to, I mean, I could do my podcast, but I'd be lying to everybody and I'd be lying to myself. And then, you know, I couldn't have my groups that I run because I have to be sober doing those. So I had a lot to lose, but I had so much more to gain. Yeah, I, I've always felt um, it was it was always interesting to watch uh, people in their journey of sobriety because you know like you said you finally get to a, a point of inspiring others and and pushing uh, others to do the same as you in terms of healing um the the one thing that i feel is like a giant black cloud in, in just today's society is social media when it comes to to addicts man it's just like I, I remember making a TikTok. Uh, somebody was like filming a junkie, like ordering ice cream in an abandoned house or something. And they're just like laughing their asses off at it. It's like, you know, I understand not everybody's going to look for help. And I, I totally get that because I have an, uh, an addict. I had an addict for a mother for many years. And not everybody is going to seek out that help for themselves or want that help for that matter. And I just feel making fun of these people or just making videos and getting laughs out of it. It, just, it doesn't do anything for anybody, man. Like you can't say you stand for something and then do the complete opposite. And, and I feel like social media has given that power to so many people that I trust with my life. And it's just like, Hey man, like this shit isn't cool. Like it's not funny. Like, uh, we have this Pasco arrest page, uh, on Facebook and sometimes they'll post like a 18 year old kid get arrested for like meth and shit. And people will be making fun of his haircut or making fun of all the craters in his face or something. It's like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know this kid's story or pretend that I know what he's going through. Cause I don't, I've never had an addiction problem, but I'm also a human being. I'm not going to look at him like an, an addict. I'm going to look at him as a human being going through a battle that he obviously needs help. And I, I've seen people go through programs so many times and it doesn't help them. And again, you got to put in that work and not a lot of people are willing to do that. But with that being said, there's one thing, anybody that, that listens to my podcast, that, that supports the journey and everything that I, I'm trying to do my best to uplift every week or every podcast that I do. If you see somebody struggling with addiction, or if you're one of those that just for some whatever reason, uh, likes to make fun of of addicts on social media, man. Do better, you know. And I, and I know that's such like a very brief statement, man. But do better. Like we're we're in the we're all in this together. And I understand some people may have had bad experiences with addicts, you know, maybe have been robbed by addicts or whatever. But I, I watched. A friend pat or not watched pass away, but I had a friend pass away a couple of years ago uh, to an overdose, and then all of a sudden you see remorse from all his friends because they shut him out and didn't want to deal with him anymore. 
And, you know, I, I know somebody might get upset uh, listening to this podcast, me talking about that, but just seeing how people react when somebody finally passes away that you know is an addict is genuinely heartbreaking to me because it's just like, you know, you had all this time on earth with them. And while it was cut short, you didn't do anything to help them heal. Yeah. And you oh, know, uh, I'm not going to mention names. I'm not going to say who I'm talking about. But if you listen to this podcast and you're one of those people, it's, it's a reality of the situation. Social media has turned people into pieces of shit, to, yeah. to put it bluntly. I used to be that person that would make fun of junkies. Too. I was too, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Not even going to lie to you. And then it happened to me, right? Right. It, Never it think that me. something can't happen to you. It's one of the truest statements I've ever heard in my life. I never realized that I used to live in the realm of it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And and, and I did, right? So, like, I always say, oh, that'll never happen to me. I'll never get a DUI. Oh, fucking DUI, right? Uh, oh, you know, that'll never happen to me. I'll never go to jail. I've been in jail, right? No. Uh, you know, uh, I'm I'm too kind to assault anybody. I've I've I had an assault charge, right? <laughs> like so, I lived in these realms of not yet, and right. and it wasn't until those things happened, and I hit rock bottom that I was like, fuck, man, like I cannot live my life this way, right? And you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, social media has turned people into animals when it comes to to homeless, to addicts, alcoholics, you know. And that's the biggest thing that that I have a problem with is like, is is you see somebody struggling, and instead of going there and saying, "Hey man, like, are you okay? You know, do you need food? Do you need water?" We've been so accustomed to whip out our phones and say, "Look at that piece of shit, blah blah." blah make yeah. assumptions, right? And, and I'm that that irritates the dog shit out of me. And then secondly, I I hold this sentiment to be really true. Don't glamorize somebody in their death, right? Yeah. I yeah. I hate that. I I I absolutely hate that. I hate yeah. and I did this for my best friend. I watched my best friend die in Afghanistan in 2012, right? And and I vocalized that he was my best friend and I loved him and we had good times. But I can also say he was a piece of shit, right? Like yeah. he he was not a good human being. He was the yin to my yang. I was a nice human being, he was a dickhead. Right. But I'm able to vocalize that. And, and when people die around us or pass away, we, we tend to be like, oh, let's look at the best of them. Why? Why? When when you were not able to look at the best of them. When they were alive, why do it now? Absolutely. One hundred percent. Right. Right. So like so like if if you have a best friend that you didn't know how to drug an alcohol problem or, or an alcohol problem. Right. And then one day you see them and they're homeless and you're like, oh, fuck you. And shoo, shoo them away and then get in your get in your fucking Lexus and drive home to your your five hundred thousand dollar house right. that that you're barely making rent on. Right. And then they pass away of an OD or or pass away because of fentanyl or suicide. Right. And then you're like, oh, my God, he was my best friend. Fuck you. Like, I'm going to say that. Fuck you. You deserve yeah. to burn in hell as right. a human being because you did nothing for that human being. All you do is shoot them away and show them that they were as useless as they fucking feel. Right. And, you know, one of the one of the quotes that I hold really close to my heart, and I'm sure it's been shared over a million times or whatever, but I don't want you here for me 
when I'm doing well if you weren't there for me in my worst time. I don't want your congratulations. I don't want your I'm happy for you shit. Like if if you can't love me for what I'm going through and what I'm enduring, I I don't want you making a post about me if I happen to pass away tomorrow and say, oh, well, he was such a great guy. I haven't talked to him in six months, but he was a great guy. I loved him. Love somebody now. Yeah. Be be there for somebody now. And I'm not telling you to to be at their at their side, attach their hip every second of the day. But if you know somebody's going through a hard time and you give a fuck about that person, you're going to see to it that they get better. And I'm not telling you to sacrifice 24 hours of your day to make sure that they don't fuck up. They're going to fuck up. We're, we're all going to fuck up. Yeah. It's, it's part of the healing process. We're not perfect. We were never made to be perfect. But the fact that there are so many people quick to just cut somebody off while somebody's struggling and not help that fucking person drives me crazy. Like communication, bro. Like communication for me is the biggest thing. If you don't like me, if you have a problem with me, tell me what I can do to do better. Don't sit there and make a post about me and, and throw nightshade at me and fucking, uh, you know, make me guess what I'm doing wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and I feel we should have that approach to, to other people as well, especially if, if somebody's dealing with addiction problems or somebody that's feeling suicidal, like, especially, especially suicide, man. Like, I, I take that shit so seriously and... Every time I, I see a story about it, like 13-year-old kid uh, the other day basically left him in care in a hospital and then neglected him that, you know, when you're, when you're on suicide watch, they're supposed to check on you every 15 minutes. Yeah. They neglected this kid and he took his life because nobody's watching him. And, you know, shit like that, like it, the signs are there. You're just not looking hard enough especially addiction too. the signs are always there you just yeah. if you care about somebody you're gonna analyze everything about them like oh they're acting different today maybe yeah. maybe i should ask them if they're okay like you said yeah you know and that's why that's why when any of my well specifically this ex you know whenever she would call and say oh i just hope you're doing good i don't want that i don't want that right. from you right you didn't give a fuck about my feelings and emotions when you destroyed me I don't want your sympathy now. You can fucking kick rocks, dude. Like, I don't care. And I still hold that, right? And like, somebody, you know, somebody said to me, oh, you know, how, you know, do you wish the best for him? Like, no, absolutely not. No, because the manner in which things happen, right? And and like, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I hope that she had, no, dude, I, I hope she gets what's coming to her. And, and And that's karma, right? And, but that's a topic for another time. Not something here now, but you're absolutely right, man. Like suicide is crazy. And 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 it's so easy for us to be like, oh, TikTok, Facebook, you know, um, oh my God, what's the newest trend? What is Hashtag the mental health awareness week? Yeah, but 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 you literally you literally have a phone button or you literally have this app called Siri that can I hope she doesn't trigger. Okay. That that can tell you that you can say, hey, call this person. Right. Hey, text this person. It'll even pop up the text box. What do you want to text? But we're so, con and I'm guilty of that too, man. We're so consumed with social media and we don't see 
the real side of shit that is happening behind closed doors. Absolutely. And it's it's insane. It's insane. So going into the next question I had for you, um, this is kind of like a, a broad question and you don't have to like talk about talk about it if it's not something you're comfortable with, but what was the biggest struggle for you in terms of uh, you healing? Like what was the hardest part of, I guess, this journey of becoming who you are now? Okay, so it wasn't the childhood trauma, which is crazy, right? I mean, periodically here and there, things come around. Right. Um, it was something that happened, and I referenced it earlier. It was something that happened um, in 2012. I lost my best friend. I watched him die in front of me. And to this day, I can still everything about it, dude. Our movement into the area, the the building that we or the structure we walked into, the the cloud from the IED, the smell of burning flesh. It's all that I can I can remember it, right? And certain certain smells will remind me of that certain times. But like for ten years, ten years I couldn't let that go, right? I had taken a picture of him and I put it on my wall when I got home, and so I seen it every day. And I'm like, that is helping me heal. It wasn't. It wasn't. I was just looking at a picture of him, right? I seen a picture of him every day. I never talked about it. People say, hey, man, you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I, I, I got this, right? And then things started progressing so bad. And like, I got to this point in my recovery where I looked at my counselor and he said, well, what do you want to talk about? I said, I want to talk about that day. And he was like, are you fucking sure you're ready to talk about it? And I was like, yeah. And And it was... And curse, dude, it was so bad. Like I couldn't, there are certain songs I couldn't listen to. I couldn't listen to So Far Away by Vince Simple without it tearing me up. I couldn't listen to to a certain Slipknot song because it would fuck me up because that was the last song we listened to. I couldn't look at his picture. I had packed it away when I moved to Alaska and I didn't open the box up. And when I opened it up, it was like it happened right then and there, right? And like it just destroyed me every single time. If a memory of of him popped up on Facebook, it fucked me up, dude. Absolutely destroyed me. And so, like, I became a prisoner to this situation for 10 years. It's something I had no control over, right? Something I didn't do, I didn't have control over. And as natural as death is, that was completely unnatural. And so, when... I talked about what happened. It fucked me up, dude. Like I cried um, and I let it out. But what that did for me was it gave me that peace of mind that like, I don't have to hold on to it anymore. Right. Like I'm no longer a slave to this. I'm no longer a prisoner to this. And we can't say slave anymore, but I'm not, I'm not a prisoner to this anymore. I don't have that, those shackles around my, 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 my wrist or my my ankles and I can walk away from it not forget it but I don't have to let those feelings do to me every single time Not, nah, I mean there's hard times dude like his death is coming up at the end of the month um you know um one of my best friends coincidentally enough 
didn't know how this happened. He uh he ended up working for, you know, doing doing a side job for that guy's wife. And she referenced my name and he's like, I didn't know you knew Sean. Right. So like small little things like that happen and it brings up the things, but it's not like it used to be, right? And and that is that was the hardest thing for me was like getting over that. That and like the guilt and the shame of everything that I had done in my life as an adult to other people, right? Because it wasn't always physical, right? Like I didn't always beat somebody's ass and I'm actually like pretty calm, pretty, pretty chill dude. And I don't like to fight, but I've, I've, you know, I've fucked people out of money. I have, I have made an ass out of my, out of myself in public and embarrassed people. Right. Um, I had sexual relations with people's wives when they're fucking, when they were married, right? Like that guilt and that shame was the hardest thing to let go of because I was like, man, I was such a piece of shit. But then I have to remember, like, that's not who I am today, right? Like 10, 15 years ago, sure, that's who I was. But that's not who I am today. And that's not the values that I hold. That's not the morals that I hold. That's not the standard in which I hold myself to now. So instead of holding on to all that, let it go because it don't matter no more. Half the people don't associate with me anymore. And if they do, they've already forgotten that it even happened. So essentially when you were able to start talking about it, it was one of your earlier aha moments kind of yeah. thing where you yeah. don't have to hold on to that pain and healing is possible. Yeah. And you know, Absolutely. for me, that was one of the biggest things for me as well is I never thought I was going to get out of like any of the the pits that I found myself in. And whether that was after my first attempt or whether that was getting screamed at for three hours or losing my brother or whoever it was. And I never thought any of it was possible. I always thought, well, this is how life is going to be. I'm going to wake up tomorrow. Somebody else is going to pass away. Or uh, I, I was very bitter for a long time and that reflected in work because of you know not getting a promotion that I thought I deserved and uh, wrestling school not working out for me just so many things that I held on to that's just like well this is my life and I'm going to constantly disappoint my parents who for some reason not not some reason it was because I tried chasing their validation that I knew I was never going to get I did wrestling school because I was passionate about it, but I also wanted to hear the words, I'm proud of you from my, my dad. Never got that. Still have never got that. I don't want it. Yeah. And when I got it from my mom, it wasn't genuine. It was her trying to keep control over, over everything that she was destroying. So when I finally started therapy uh, in 2018, and I had that early aha moment, the very last session I had with her before I came back down to Florida was the first two sessions that I had with her, I couldn't look her in the face. I was in tears both sessions. I couldn't look at her directly in the face, nothing. And when we got to our last session before I left, um, I realized that, wow, all this is possible, not only because I made it possible, but I was able to see through all the things that I was told were normal and all that trauma and all that shit, I didn't have to hang on to anymore. And that's reflected in my therapy sessions today. I mean, shit, it's 
getting me to talk about shit that I never thought I would ever come out with. Um, I, I can only imagine, well, yeah, I can only imagine uh, how hard that was for you. Just starting, starting that journey and trying to heal from such a impactful uh, death um, in your life. And just my hat's off to you, man. Like that's, that's something I can never imagine going through. And I've said it before and I'll say it time and time again. Thank you for, for your service and what you've been able to do with your podcast and stuff, man. Cause like I said, I, I look up to you with a lot of that stuff. And I, I think, I think the world of you is a human being. So thank you for sharing that. Man. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for, uh, thank you for acknowledging, man. Like, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do any of this without <laughs> my first stepping stones. I would say that, one of the other things that was like really hard for me, and I just I just thought of this, and it, it really didn't happen until very recently, uh, was loving myself, right? Because um, I had all these thoughts about myself in my head, right? And um, even when I would share my story with people, I would say, oh, they're just going to see me how I see myself, right? It's just a piece of shit. And I labeled myself as that, and I held that. And then when everything happened, I felt like I was incapable of being loved. And I felt like I didn't deserve love because of everything that happened. And then, you know, I met my current girlfriend and her and I started to talk. And like, I realized like quickly, like, dude, I am capable of love. And just, I have to learn to love myself. And I had learned to navigate that um, was was really hard. Uh, one of my, the counselor I just, I just got done sessions with, um, she looked at me and said, do you know what love is? That's the hardest question I've ever been asked in my life. Because I can't quantify love. I don't know what love is. I know what it feels like, but I don't know what it is, right? Um, I've always been told, you know, love is like a fairy tale, right? It's like Disney, like the Disney prince and princess. They fall in love and happily ever after, but it's never happily ever after. It's never been happy, happily ever after. And as far as I knew what love was, uh, love was pain, right? Love love from my parents came in the form of them saying, I'm doing this because I love you, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I hate that fucking saying, Chris. I hate it with a passion. Me too. Heard that and, my whole life too. Yeah, you know, and then and then I, you know, I thought that, you know, and then I was asked, how do you give your love out? And I'm like, what? There's a lot of like digging I had to do in myself to realize like one i'm capable of, of of being loved and i deserve to be loved but also I, I i i can love myself right like it's okay there's that fine line of between loving yourself and being egotistical right and it's okay to love myself without being egotistical and it's not ego it's not okay to be egotistical if i love myself so there's been a lot of that but that also comes in self-care right and that comes in the form of of it's gonna sound crazy as shit but it works walking in front of the mirror and looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, what do I love about myself? Funny enough, I was actually going to say that. I was going to say it all starts with the person in the mirror. Yeah. And that's something for the longest time that I struggle with too, because I'll be a hundred percent honest with you. I still don't really know what, what love is. I don't know what it feels like. I don't know what it looks like because I was shown a roadmap of bullshit. I mm. was, I was told by my parents, Oh, I'm doing this because I love you. Or 
after I would get done having something broken over my head. I'm doing this because I love you. Like, whatever it was. Like, I heard that phrase so many times throughout my life that I'm so numb to the phrase I love you that when I finally started therapy and doing all the exercises that she's taught me, I've been able to actually say I love you to myself and actually mean it. And then be able to give the love that I have in my heart to other people and in the form of this podcast, in the form of those posts that I make in the group, you know, whatever it is. And so many people I feel like struggle with self-love, man, because I, I, I feel like they sabotage so many other lives because they don't love themselves. Yeah. It you know, we can it's so easy for us as human beings to point out what we do not like about ourselves. And it's harder for us to be like, I love myself for X, Y, and Z, right? And that was one of the things that I was asked was, what do you not love about yourself? I named off a litany of things, dude. None of them were my character. None of them had to do with my morals or my ethic. They were all my physical appearance, right? Oh, I don't like the fact that I'm five foot five on a good day because I'm short. People don't like short people, right? I don't like the fact that I'm balding because I'm looking like my dad. I hated it. Uh, you know, this, this crooked ass pinky. I don't like, it was all physical things, dude. It had zero to do with, with who I am at the core of my, my person. And when I was able to see past that and see like, it's all fucking this, not this. That's when I was able to say, all right, man, like you are a good fucking human being. You're not a piece of shit. So, yeah. It's yeah, it's a, uh, definitely definitely an important message to to share is just love yourself man because we underestimate the power of self-love and positive self-talk and i know i'm guilty of negative self-talk but you know that that comes with its own its own struggles um i i know i'm a sexy motherfucker now (laughs) (laughs) i'm just a sexy show sexy show i make to april hurt yeah, I'll make that ankle hurt. What's uh so one question I wanted to ask you was uh what's the biggest stigma that you yourself has faced as a man or as somebody who has been on the journey of healing in the form of sobriety? Um, well there's a few of them. Uh, the first one uh would have to be uh that I'm a man. I can't talk about feelings. I mean, obviously we've hit that one on the head. Um the second one <laughs> is something I learned in the army and I I learned to break it really quick was uh, if it's broke, get it fixed. But if you get it fixed, you're a bitch. And that came in the form of me tearing my meniscus in 2014 and going in for surgery in 2015. And so, yeah, I was, I couldn't walk, dude, my, I couldn't walk up steps. I had, I had a, a platoon sergeant. So he's in charge of like everybody he's the second non-commissioned officer in charge he literally looked at me he's like you're a bitch because you can't run you can't walk and i'm like dude but here's my mris that show that like my meniscus is torn in half he's like yeah well i'm still doing this job with a torn shoulder i'm like and that's your problem that is on you i didn't make the decision for you not to go get surgery i need to get surgery to be whole or to be as whole as i can be and the last, the last one is that, and I've heard this a lot, that 
my way is the right way. There's a thousand ways to skin a cat in recovery. A thousand, right? Uh, AA is the is one of the grassroots programs. NA is one of the grassroots programs of recovery, but it's not the only way to recovery. And so for me, you know, I had to break away from that stigma that AA is the only way. Um, there's there's a few I, I have you know I had some biases when it came to recovery and that was hard. You know, everybody has biases. If you do, if you say you don't have a bias, you're wrong, and that's that's just the honest God truth. Uh, for me, one of my biases was um, was MAT, uh, medication assisted treatment, right, where people are taking Suboxone or Methadone to get clean and sober, and that came because when I was in jail, I seen people abusing it, right. So cellmates would get Suboxone because they were heroin addicts, and then they would mix it with water and drop it in their eye. And I'm like, these motherfuckers are getting high, right? They're not using it for what it's worth. So when I got out and I heard people saying, oh, I'm on Suboxone, that was the first thought that came to my mind. It was like, you are, are not sober. And then um, one of my good buddies, um, I hadn't talked to him in a while, and I, I called him, and he started sharing his story with me and said, I'm on Suboxone. I was like, man, you're not sober. He's like, no, 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 no. He's like, I've been waiting on this conversation for a while. And this is actually last year. And, and I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, this is what my dosage was. This is what I'm taking now. And it was significantly decreased. And he was like, I take it as prescribed. It's prescribed by my doctor. And that was like my, uh, another aha moment that I had was, holy shit, people do use this and it is working for them to stay sober. And the more that I heard from people, people that were close to me that I knew, they, they came out and were like, hey, I'm using Suboxone. I'm using Methadone. I'm using, you know, Vivitrol, the Vivitrol shot to stay sober. And I'm like, well, fuck. Okay. As long as you're doing as prescribed, that's all that matters. You know, it's interesting. Um, the my way is right. And there's only one way to heal thing. Because uh, one thing that the crisis hotline taught me was, you know, the, the key differences on the text line and the, you know, the actual call line. And, you know, some of the conversations that I've had in there without being specific, of course, um, was that just some people are more comfortable texting out things than they are talking about it. And again, it goes back to healing. Like some people just do better at writing it out than they do saying it face to face. And I, it, one of the hardest things for me was being a very face to face person. And, a lot of people, you know, most of the people I talk with are face-to-face, -face, but then there's that little small percentage of the people I know that are strictly text messages. I'm like, hey, can I just call you? Like, I don't want to text all this out. Like, I hate that shit. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, I don't really, I don't really do good at phone conversations. And for me, it was, you know, one of those things where it's just like, I didn't understand. I'm like, what, how do you not know how to, how do you, how can you not talk face-to-face? -face? How can you not? use your voice like i'm a little confused then just like some people uh heal different ways some people communicate different ways and and I, I that was one of the biggest struggles for me uh being i used to be really introverted and now it's kind of like branched out into extrovert ish um the pandemic was the hardest thing in the world for me i don't want to say it like my struggle was harder than anybody else so if anybody listening i'm not trying to down, downplay your struggles i'm just saying like 
it was really hard for me during the pandemic because I'm a very social person, not being able to see people or people being scared to leave their house and not wanting to hang out because of, of COVID and everything. And that, you know, healing different ways, communicating different ways was just something that I had to learn for myself because that experience that I have with my therapist that I shared on the panel of, you know, her throwing medicine at my face, like immediately. And the first thought I get when I think of medicine is like, I don't want it to change my, my being. I don't want to have to rely on medicine and it works for somebody. Some people need that. Absolutely. And for me, I just don't want to have to rely on a substance or a pills or anything just to feel right. You know what I mean? Like if I can talk about what I'm going through and me being a social person, talking about shit helps me heal. And the point of, of all of this is what I'm trying to say is healing and communicating doesn't look the same for everybody. So that's something I didn't realize that uh, people that were healing sobriety, I never realized that that was a stigma in that field was NA or AA or that's it. Like there's no, there's no other way, but yeah. that's crazy. You had to even experience that. There's like 19 different pathways to recovery. Right. A lot of people don't realize that there's 19 prescribed and they're growing. There's more coming up at the pipeline. Um, but yeah, that's insane. Do you do you know why people like opt to to text the risk call? I, I I have an idea. So my my thing with uh, the text line is either they're in the same home as that person who is, you know, possibly abusing them or possibly talking to them this way or uh, they just don't know how to vocalize it properly because I noticed for uh, during the three years of the pandemic uh, something that I struggled with was was talking because I didn't do it for so long and like I would like trip over my words like I felt like I was in the first grade again like trying to form a sentence and I know some people might chuckle at that but like I was very self-conscious about it for a, for a while like people might not get that from me because I I talk so much, but like I trip over so many words because of anxiety, like over the pandemic, my anxiety, like skyrocketed. And then like having conversations with people is so foreign to me. Sometimes like person to person that is so weird. Like, I don't think it would be uh, uncomfortable if I were to have a person to person type therapy with Jess, but like she made virtual therapy, like, I adjusted to it like so fluently because of her, but like I struggled with like socializing after the pandemic when everything started opening up again. Cause like that anxiety of I haven't talked to somebody or had a conversation with an actual human being in so long that I just felt myself felt like I was going crazy. And I know that's kind of like a red flag word, but like, I felt like I was going crazy. Yeah. So the one thing that I noticed and I've I've talked about this with a few people is you know that is texting or writing things out it gives the person the opportunity to think and articulate what they want to say right and and I found that if I write if it's coming from the heart right if it's coming from the heart for me I'd much rather write it out and have you read it or me read it to you versus saying it just right. off the top of my head right because like off the top of my head I'm gonna sound like a dumbass I'm able to write it out or I'm able to type it out. It comes from the heart and I'm able to think about what I was going to say. 
but yeah, man. So like pandemic was actually when I first, when I started my recovery, I, I was just starting my recovery pandemic hit. Boom. And for me, I, to be honest, completely honest, up to that point, I hated people, dude. I hated being around people. And I, that's the veteran thing, I guess. I hated being around people. I hated socializing. So when the pandemic happened, I was like, I can be at home. <laughs> I, can, I can be at home and play video games and watch movies and sleep and eat all the goddamn food on. Yeah. <laughs> I have to call into a UA line to see if I have to go pee. Yeah, let's fucking do it. Right. Let's, I can put my phone on silent and go through this class. Let's do it. So it was like super comfortable for me. Uh, and it wasn't only until, you know, within this past year that like socializing became a thing for me. And like, I enjoy it. You know, I, I, I'm not all the time. Okay. Socializing within reason. Okay. Like I'm not out here a social butterfly, right? Like I'm not, I'm not that I'm a pretty little butterfly, but like, <laughs> but like I, you know, I'll definitely be like, yeah, I want to go out and like go to dinner and be around people or no, nah, dude, I'm cool with like just sitting here and watching a movie. Yeah, man, like we had a routine every Thursday that we were going to Buffalo Wild Wings. And then I remember when they closed down, WrestleMania was taken away from me. Like so many social things for me were taken away. And like, uh, again, I know it wasn't just me. So anybody who gets upset at those comments, I apologize. But when those things were taken away from me, it fucking destroyed me. Like, as a person, like my personality was just all over the fucking place. I didn't know how to have conversations with people anymore. We started working from home, like fucking chaos. Yeah. You know, yeah, madness. But um, definitely don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to make this podcast about me. So, um, ah, but it's your experience, man. And that that's what matters, yeah. dude. You know, everybody's experiences are different. This is a good, good one I wrote down for you. What's the most important lesson you were forced to learn? Mm. <laughs> that it's not about me. Right. And that comes in all phases of my recovery. It's not about me. If I'm, if I was in a class and the counselor, you know, harped on me or, or would bring me up to the front to have me read something, I used to take it very personal, right? And they're like, out of 50 fucking people in this whole goddamn room, right. you chose me, right? right? <laughs> you got it out for me. And, and and I held that kind of, I guess you'd call it victim mentality. Um, but then I had to learn, like, it's not about me. It, it wasn't ever me. It was for the betterment of everybody around me. Because our experiences, sharing our experiences, changes the perspective, Right. Uh, one person could need to hear what you had to say out of 50 fucking people. And you provided that message to them. Um, you know, times when my ex would, would be upset and, and it had nothing to do with me, but it was projected at me. I had to look at that and be like, this is not about me. As much as I want it to be about me, as much as I want her to like scream and yell at me so I can feel justified in being angry. It's not about me. Right. Um, the podcast. It's, it's part of me, but it's not about me, right? right. And you you hit it on the head. It's not about me, right? It's about getting other people's stories out there. So this whole time, that that's what I had to force to be learned was that. And 
and that <laughs> to beginning at the very beginning, I had to do this class called moral reclination therapy. And I've uh, mentioned this before, but the first step for any program is the hardest dude. And the first step was I had to admit that I had a bag of secrets. I had to share those secrets out in the open. And I was like, fuck, this sucks. Right. But that, that was like, that was freeing. And so like, I had, I had to learn that, like, in order to get better, I'm going to have to go through some pain. And not that pain that I learned that was like, I'm doing this because I love you. It's, it's, I have to cause myself some pain in order to get better. Right. So definitely, uh, it's not about me thing. I definitely feels one of the most, uh, substantial lessons I definitely had to learn in my healing process too because while the healing itself is you know repairing the bruises and learning to honor my inner child and stuff you know it's it's about uh you know the example you could set for other people in your journey of healing like yeah you're healing yourself but how many people are you inspiring on your way up how many people are you uplifting on your way up yeah and definitely being able to recognize that it's not about you it's not about me is something so many people don't understand i've i've had people that have just touted my praises because of the groups that i run the topics that i come up with the podcast and i have to continuously remind them and i i say this i'm like dude it's not about me right like i am just the gateway to get people to where they need to be i am I'm not gonna say I'm the voice for the voiceless because that's you. <laughs> um, you know, I am I am that person that helps facilitate the change. I'm that person that helps get people's stories out there. It's not me. It's them. I'm not doing you know, any of the work. One of the one of the heaviest things that my therapist said to me, and when she said it to me, I was in tears because like I didn't understand it at first but when she said it like I broke down like it, it completely shattered me but she said you're that lighthouse on the island you're guiding people through the waters you're that person that you didn't have growing up for everybody else and uh, again it goes back to that that phrase it's not about you kind of thing and me healing has been about sharing my story yes like my story is my own my experiences are my own but they're not just because I want attention. They're not because I want sympathy or anything like that. Like I want everybody to know that you're not alone in any of this. Like while you may feel like that. And I felt like that probably my entire life that I was alone. And I think this podcast, your podcast and others are a shining example of you don't have to do this shit alone. And it's a hard fucking world we're in, man like yeah. trials and tribulations and bullshit that we have to endure every single day, man, you're not alone. And I cannot struggle that phrase enough. You're not alone okay. because it, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard life. man. We're, we're all going through it. We're all on different levels. Some of us are a little more healed up than others. Some of us are just starting to heal. There is no timeline on how long, you should heal for there is no timeline on grief and that's something that needs to definitely be said 
um, it just, it's not about us. It's about you guys. It's about our supporters. It's about anybody listening that can relate with your story or my own. You know, it's yeah. all those topics that so many people were so afraid to talk about. You know, like I, I didn't even know what the word gaslighting meant like two or three years ago, you know, and now it's used almost every other day. Like we talked about on the panel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hate and, that word. <laughs> and, you know, it's just things like that, man, just going through this journey and, and healing the way that we have. Um, it's a great, it's a great lesson. And yeah. glad that you, you articulate, articulated, I can't even say that word right. Um, for, for all the listeners, because it's, definitely a really important lesson oh yeah absolutely. um i had a question on there written down but like i kind of want to give you time to work on it a little bit more before we actually talk about it with your book right. um i know it's it's the ideas out there and i'm not sure like what release date you had or anything so oh you can ask it it's fine yeah um so i guess what is your book going to be about and do you have a set release date all right, so uh, my book is going to, it's an autobiography about my life. I mean, obviously, that's what an autobiography is. But uh, it's pretty much going to entail, I haven't decided if I want to do it in two or three parts or just one, like one big book, because my life is fucking crazy. Um, it's got good and bad things. Uh, the first chapter, I talk about growing up with, you know, for my first memory, loving wrestling. And then it goes into traumatic experiences, and it's very vivid in detail um and and i just for me i want this to be like a lesson for people that like that you can live a shitty not okay that that's terrible you can have a a terrible series of events happen to you your whole life but that doesn't mean that there's not something better on the back end right so that's that's what um a book is about now, I haven't come up with the title yet. I'm working on figuring that out. Um, the title that I had before I deleted the file and then started again <laughs> was was uh, called um, The Turbulent Trials of My Life. And that was before I got into recovery. And I was like, I don't want this to be a victim book. I want this to be right. a triumph, right? I want this to be something triumphant. Um I want to get it done within the next two and three years. I want to get it sent out uh, to publishers to see who the fuck would pick it up and uh, hopefully release date in four years. Yeah, man. Um, when that book comes out, I'll definitely, I'm definitely grabbing a copy. So looking forward to that, man. Um, so the last question I have for you on the podcast uh, while we wrap it up is, uh, if you can change one thing in a mental health community, what would it be? Mm. Um empathy and the lack thereof uh i think that there's a majority of people that have empathy for people in their circumstances but i think on the clinical side there's a huge lack of empathy right like peer-to-peer so you to me we have uh, uh, an abundance of empathy right you go on social media sometimes there's a an abundance of empathy somebody's going through something there's an outpouring of love but you get to the clinical side of things, it's very very hard to find empathy. You know, somebody that that line between sympathy and empathy is blurred, right? Um, or just just a complete lack of empathy 
and a lack of understanding and a lack of listening, active listening. It's huge lack of all that. I would change that. I, I would say scratch, you know, there has to be some form of a test where well, you sit in front of somebody that's receiving services and you're evaluated on how you handle that person or how you work with that person. And then moving forward, groups, how you can handle a group, right? Because there's a written test to be a counselor, but they don't have a practical exercise. You don't know how to handle things outside of, of a collegiate setting or a, a okay. setting, setting of academia. You don't know what it's like to get out into the real world and see people with real life problems and how to handle them. And I, I that's what I would change. Yeah, I definitely think uh, between that and just like being able to identify when the passion for mental health is no longer there with certain uh, counselors, therapists, because there's a lot of them out there, man. Like, I feel like you or I shouldn't have to go through four, five, six, seven, eight different therapists before we find the right one. And there's nothing wrong with shopping around. You know, there's nothing, you know, we do that with cars. We do that with, with clothes, you know, whatever. We shouldn't have to do that when it comes to our mental health, you know, same with doctors, like regular, like physicians, whatever. How we communicate with doctors is, I think, should be one of the most important things. Like you said, like there should be an evaluation to see if you match up with this person. Time and money should not be wasted between both parties and say, you know, three weeks in, this therapist isn't writing anything down. This therapist isn't giving me anything that I can use. Like I've, I've experienced that the bad therapist myself and it took somebody from NAMI to tell me what to ask those therapists. And through almost three years later, I have Jess, you know, and I, I feel like everybody that I know who is in therapy or counseling of any sort has had to go through the ringer of therapists or has had nothing but bad experiences with therapists. And I, I every time somebody has gone to me for a resource for therapists, I'm like, you know, use the, I use this, this site. I filtered out the stuff that I want to talk about. I feel more comfortable talking to a female about the things that I struggle with just because there's that, like, I always feel like there's that silent judgment between guys if the, if they were my therapist. So no guy therapist for me. And I always say, you know, ask questions, you know, your first session, ask, uh, you know, what kind of therapy that they cover, you know, uh, how much is one one session going to cost? You know, and I know money is a, a big thing for a lot of therapists and it shouldn't be. I understand they're, they're providing a service in a very important one. But what, what I'm saying is there are a lot of therapists out there who are just in it for the money and not for giving a shit about people. And I've experienced one of those people, unfortunately, and I know others that have done the same. Um, I, I just feel like there should be if you notice passion starting to run out in the therapist, like if they're working for uh, somebody's practice or whatever, I, I just genuinely feel like there should be like an evaluation, like, Hey, how are you feeling about this field? Like, is it still for you? Like maybe like every couple of years or something, I don't know. Um, but that's just my thought on that, man. Um, yeah. Caregiver, caregiver, uh, the caregiver fatigue is a real thing. And yeah. that's something that has to be monitored. Absolutely. Um, so at the end of every podcast, I like to read a quote to our listeners, um, whether it's from you or, you or myself. Um, we'll let you go first to uh, read the quote that you had, and then I'll read mine. 
All right. So mine comes from Henry Ford. I, I love this. Uh, I've seen this and I believe wholeheartedly in it. Uh, and it says, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Volumes, bro. Yes. And like the shortest amount of words, volumes. Yes. Absolutely. Um, so I have a quote um, from Russell Wilson. Um, and it goes, uh, if we start being honest about our pain, our anger and our shortcomings, instead of pretending they don't exist, then maybe we'll leave the world a better place than we found it. 100. Generational cycle. I think that touches heavily on the cycle conversation we had. Absolutely. Sean, I want to thank you so much again for coming on the podcast and sharing a piece of you with our listeners. Um, can't wait to hear more about your book so far. What you've sent me, powerful shit, man. Um, can't wait to to see more. And thank you again so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, bro. I appreciate it. And, uh, and I enjoyed this time. Yeah, man. Um, and for all my listeners, thank you again for your support. Um, like I said uh, at the beginning of the podcast, I should have that NAMI panel out here soon. Um, thank you again for your support. Um, and as always, be well, but most importantly, be gentle with yourselves. Until next time, take care, guys.